Chapter Twenty Five of the Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It is in part professional and furnishes the reader with some valuable hints in relation to the management of a sick chamber. Mister Mould was surrounded by his household gods. He was enjoying the sweets of domestic repose and gazing on them with a calm delight. The day being sultry and the window open, the legs of Mr. Mould were on the window-seat, and his back reclined against the shutter. Over his shining head a handkerchief was drawn, to guard his baldness from the flies. The room was fragrant with the smell of punch, a tumbler of which grateful compound stood upon a small round table, convenient to the hand of Mr. Mould, so deftly mixed that as his eye looked down into the cool transparent drink, Another eye, peering brightly from behind the crisp lemon peel, looked up at him, and twinkled like a star. Deep in the city, and within the ward of Cheap, stood Mr. Mould's establishment. His harem, or in other words, the common sitting-room of Mrs. Mould and family, was at the back, over the little counting-house, behind the shop, abutting on a churchyard, small and shady. In this domestic chamber Mr. Mould now sat, gazing, a placid man, upon his punch and home. If for a moment at a time he sought wider prospect, whence he might return with freshened zest to these enjoyments, his moist glance wandered like a sunbeam through a rural screen of scarlet runners, trained on strings before the window, and he looked down with an artist's eye upon the graves. The partner of his life, and daughters twain, were Mr. Mould's companions. Plump as any partridge was each Miss Mould, and Mrs. M. was plumper than the two together. So round and chubby were their fair proportions, that they might have been the bodies once belonging to the angels' faces in the shop below, grown up with other heads detached to make them mortal. Even their peachy cheeks were puffed out and distended, as though they ought out of right to be performing on celestial trumpets. The bodiless cherubs in the shop, who were depicted as constantly blowing those instruments for ever and ever, without any lungs, played, it is to be presumed, entirely by ear. Mr. Mould looked lovingly at Mrs. Mould, who sat hard by and was a helpmate to him in his punch, as in all other things. Each seraph daughter, too, enjoyed her share of his regards, and smiled upon him in return. So bountiful were Mr. Mould's possessions, and so large his stock in trade, that even there, within his household sanctuary, stood a curious press, whose mahogany moor was filled with shrouds and winding-sheets and other furniture of funerals. But though the Mrs. Mould had been brought up, as one may say, beneath his eye, it had cast no shadow on their timid infancy or blooming youth. Sporting behind the scenes of death and burial from cradlehood, the Mrs. Mould knew better. Hat-bands to them were but so many yards of silk or crepe, the final robe but such a quantity of linen. The Mrs. Mould could idealise a player's habit, or a court lady's petticoat, or even an act of Parliament, but they were not to be taken in by Paul's. They made them sometimes. The premises of Mr. Mould were hard of hearing to the boisterous noises in the great main streets, and nestled in a quiet corner, where the city strife became a drowsy hum that sometimes rose and sometimes fell, and sometimes altogether ceased, suggesting to a thoughtful mind a stoppage in Cheapside. 
the light came sparkling in among the scarlet runners as if the churchyard winked at mr mould and said we understand each other and from the distant shop a pleasant sound arose of coffin-making with a low melodious hammer rat-a-tat-a-tat alike promoting slumber and digestion quite the buzz of insects said mr mould closing his eyes in a perfect luxury puts one in mind of the sound of animated nature in the agricultural districts it's exactly like the woodpecker tapping the hollow elm tree observed mrs mould adapting the words of the popular melody to the description of wood commonly used in the trade ha <laughs> ha laughed mr mould not at all bad my dear we shall be glad to hear from you again mrs m hollow elm tree ha <laughs> ha very good indeed i've seen worse than that in the sunday papers my love mrs mould thus encouraged took a little more of the punch and handed it to her daughters who dutifully followed the example of their mother hollow elm tree eh? said mr mould making a slight motion with his legs in the enjoyment of the joke it's beech in the song elm eh yes to be sure <laughs> upon my soul that's one of the best things i know he was so excessively tickled by the jest that he couldn't forget it but repeated twenty times elm eh yes to be sure elm of course ha <laughs> upon my life you know that ought to be sent to somebody who could make use of it it's one of the smartest things that ever was said hollow elm tree eh of course very hollow <laughs> here a knock was heard at the room door that's tacker i know said mrs mould by the wheezing he makes who that hears him now would suppose he'd ever had wind enough to carry the feathers on his head come in tacker beg your pardon ma'am said tacker looking in a little way i thought our governor was here well so he is cried mould oh i didn't see you i'm sure said tacker looking a little further you wouldn't be inclined to take a walking one of two with a plain wood and a tin plate i suppose certainly not replied mr mould much too common nothing to say to it i told him it was precious low observed mr tacker tell him to go somewhere else we don't do that style of business here said mr mould like their impudence to propose it who is it why returned tacker pausing that's where it is you see it's the beadle's son-in-law the beadle's son-in-law eh said mould well i'll do it if the beadle follows in his cocked hat not else we carry it off that way by looking official but it'll be low enough then his cocked hat mind i'll take care of it sir rejoined tacker oh mrs gamp's below and wants to speak to you tell mrs gamp to come upstairs said mould now mrs gamp what's your news the lady in question was by this time in the doorway curtsying to mrs mould at the same moment a peculiar fragrance was borne in upon the breeze as if a passing fairy had hiccupped and had previously been to a wine vaults mrs gamp made no response to mr mould but curtsied to mrs mould again and held up her hands and eyes as in a devout thanksgiving that she looked so well she was neatly but not gaudily attired in the weed she had worn when mr pecksniff had the pleasure of making her acquaintance and was perhaps the turning of a scale more snuffy there are some happy creatures mrs gamp observed as time runs backwards with and you are one mrs mould not that he need do nothing except use you in his most audacious way for years to come i'm sure for young you are and will be i says to mrs harris mrs gamp continued only t'other day the last monday evening fortnight as ever dawned upon this pigeon's progress of a mortal whale i says to mrs harris when she says to me years and our trials mrs gamp sets a marks upon us all 
say not the words mrs harris if you and me is to be continual friends for such is not the case mrs mould i says making so free i will confess as to use the name she curtsied here is one of them that goes again the observation straight and never mrs harris while i've a drop of breath to draw will i set by and not stand up don't think it i ask your pardon ma'am says mrs harris and i humbly grant your grace for if ever a woman lived as would see her feller creatures into fits serve her friends well do i know that woman's name is sairy gamp at this point she was fain to stop for breath and advantage may be taken of the circumstance to state that a fearful mystery surrounded this lady of the name of harris whom no one in the circle of mrs gamp's acquaintance had ever seen neither did any human being know her place of residence though mrs gamp appeared on her own showing to be in constant communication with her there were conflicting rumours on the subject but the prevalent opinion was that she was a phantom of mrs gamp's brain as messrs doe and roe are fictions of the law created for the express purpose of holding visionary dialogues with her on all manner of subjects and invariably winding up with a compliment to the excellence of her nature and like always what a pleasure said mrs gamp turning with a tearful smile towards the daughters to see them two young ladies as i'd knowed afore a tooth in their pretty heads was cut and of many a day seen ah the sweet creatures playing at burying's down in the shop and following that order-book to its long home in the iron safe but that's all past and over mr mould as thus she got in a carefully regulated routine to that gentleman she shook her head waggishly that's all past and over now sir ain't it changes mrs gamp changes returned the undertaker more changes too to come before we've done with changes sir said mrs gamp nodding yet more waggishly than before young ladies with such faces think of something else besides burians don't they sir i'm sure i don't know mrs gamp said mole with a chuckle not bad in mrs gamp my dear oh yes you do know sir said mrs gamp and so does mrs mould your handsome partner too sir and so do i although the blessing of a daughter was denied me which if we had had one gamp would certainly have drunk his little shoes right off its feet as with our precious boy he did and afterward send the child a errand to sell his wooden leg for any money it would fetch as matches in the rough and bring it home in liquor which was truly done beyond his years for every individual penny that child lost at toss or buy for kidney ones and comes home afterwards quite bold to break the news and offering to drown himself as such would be a satisfaction to his parents oh yes you do know sir said mrs gamp wiping her eye with her shawl and resuming the thread of her discourse there's something besides births and burians in the newspapers ain't there mr mould mr mould winked at mrs mould whom he had by this time taken on his knee and said no doubt a good deal more mrs gamp upon my life mrs gamp is very far from bad my dear there's marryings ain't there sir said mrs gamp while both the daughters blushed and tittered bless their precious hearts and well they knows it well you knowed it too and well did mrs mould when you was at their same time of life but my opinion is you're all of one age now for as to you and mrs mould sir ever having grandchildren oh fie fie nonsense mrs gamp replied the undertaker devilish smart though capital this was in a whisper my dear aloud again mrs gamp can drink a glass of rum i dare say sit down mrs gamp sit down mrs gamp took the chair that was nearest the door and casting up her eyes towards the ceiling feigned to be wholly insensible to the fact 
of a glass of rum being in preparation until it was placed in her hand by one of the young ladies when she exhibited the greatest surprise a thing she said as hardly ever mrs mould occurs within me is when i am indisposed and find my half-point of porter settling heavily on the chest mrs harris often and often says to me sairy gamp she says you rarely do amaze me mrs harris i says to her why so give it a name i beg telling the truth then ma'am says mrs harris and shaming him as shall be nameless betwixt you and me never did i think till i knowed you as any woman could sick nurse and monthly likewise on the little that you takes to drink mrs harris i says to her none of us knows what we can do till we tries and i once when me and gamp kept house i thought so too but now i says my half pint of porter fully satisfies provision mrs harris that it's brought regular and drawed mild whether i was six or monthlies ma'am i hope i does my duty but i am but a poor woman and i earns my living hard therefore i do require it which i makes confession to be brought regular and drawed mild the precise connection between these observations and the glass of rum did not appear for mrs gamp proposing as a toast the best of lucks to all took off the dram in quite a scientific manner without any further remarks and what's your news mrs gamp asked mould again as that lady wiped her lips upon her shawl and nibbled a corner off a soft biscuit which she had appeared to carry in her pocket as a provision against contingent drams how's mr chuffey mr chuffey sir she replied is just as usual he ain't no better and he ain't no worse i take it very kind in the gentleman to have wrote up to you and said let mrs gamp take care of him till i come home but everything he does is kind there ain't many like him if there was we shouldn't want no churches what do you want to speak to me about mrs gamp said mould coming to the point just this sir mrs gamp returned with thanks to you for asking there is a gent sir at the bull in holborn as has been took ill there and is bad abed they have a day nurse as was recommended from bartholomew's and well i knows her mr mould her name being mrs prig the best of creatures but she is otherwise engaged at night and they are in wants of night watching consequent she says to them having reposed the greatest friendliness in me for twenty year the soberest person going and the best of blessings in a sick room is mrs gamp send a boy to kingsgate street she says and snap her up at any price for mrs gamp is worth her weight and more in golden guineas my landlord brings a message down to me and says being in a light place where you are and this job promising so well will not unite the two no sir i says not unbeknown to mr mould and therefore do not think of it but i will go to mr mould i says and asked him if you like night watching eh said mould rubbing his chin from eight o'clock till eight sir i will not deceive you mrs gamp rejoined and then go back eh said mould quite free then sir to attend mr chuffey he's always being quiet and his hours early he'd be abed sir nearly all the time i will not deny said mrs gamp with meekness that i am but a poor woman and that the money is the object but i do not let that act upon you mr mould rich folks may ride on camels but it ain't so easy for em to see out of a needle's eye that's my comfort and i hope i knows it well mrs gamp observed mould i don't see any particular objection to your earning an honest penny under such circumstances i should keep it quiet i think mrs gamp i wouldn't mention it to mr chuzzlewit on his return 
for instance, unless it were necessary, or he asked you point-blank. The very words was on my lips, sir, Mrs. Gamp rejoined. Supposing that the gent should die, I hope I might take the liberty of saying, as I know someone in the undertaking line, and yet give no offence to you, sir. Certainly, Mrs. Gamp, said Mould, with much condescension, you may casually remark in such a case that we do the thing pleasantly and in a great variety of styles, and are generally considered to make it as agreeable as possible to the feelings of the survivors. But don't obtrude it, don't obtrude it. Easy, easy, my dear. You may as well give Mrs. Gamp a card or two, if you please. Mrs. Gamp received them, and scenting no more rum in the wind, for the bottle was locked up again, rose to take her departure. Wishing every happiness to this happy family, said Mrs. Gamp, with all my heart. Good afternoon, Mrs. Mould. If I was Mr., I should be jealous of you, ma'am, and I'm sure if I was you, I should be jealous of Mr. Mould. Ta-ta! Bah! Go along, Mrs. Gamp, cried the delighted undertaker. As to the young ladies, said Mrs. Gamp, dropping a curtsy, bless their sweet looks. How can they ever recognise it with their duties to be so grown up with such young parents? It ain't for such as me to give a guess at. Nonsense, nonsense, be off, Mrs. Gamp, cried Mould. But in the height of his gratification, he actually pinched Mrs. Mould as he said it. I tell you what, my dear, he observed when Mrs. Gamp had at last withdrawn and shut the door, that's a very shrewd woman. That's a woman whose intellect is immensely superior to her station in life. That's a woman who observes and reflects in uncommon manner. She's the sort of woman now, said Mole, drawing his silk handkerchief over his head again, and composing himself for a nap, one would almost feel disposed to bury for nothing, and to do it neatly, too. Mrs. Mould and her daughters fully concurred in these remarks, the subject of which had by this time reached the street, where she experienced so much inconvenience from the air that she was obliged to stand under an archway for a short time to recover herself. Even after this precaution, she walked so unsteadily as to attract the compassionate regards of diverse kind-hearted boys, who took the liveliest interest in her disorder, and in their simple language bade her to be of good cheer, for she was only a little screwed. Whatever she was, or whatever name for the vocabulary of medical science would have bestowed upon her malady, Mrs. Gamp was perfectly acquainted with the way home again, and arriving at the house of Anthony Chuzzlewit and son, lay down to rest, remaining there until seven o'clock in the evening, and then persuading poor old Chuffey to betake himself to bed, she sallied forth upon her new engagement. First she went to her private lodgings in Kingsgate Street, for a bundle of robes and wrappings comfortable in the night season, and then repaired to the bull in Holborn, where she reached as the clocks were striking eight. As she turned into the yard, she stopped, for the landlord, landlady, and head chambermaid were all on the threshold together, talking earnestly with a young gentleman who seemed to have just come or to be just going away. The first words that struck upon Mrs. Gamp's ear obviously bore reference to the patient, and it being expedient that all good attendants should know as much as possible about the case on which their skill is brought to bear, Mrs. Gamp listened as a matter of duty. "'No better, then,' observed the gentleman. "'Worse,' said the landlord. "'Much worse,' added the landlady. "'Oh, a deal badder,' cried the chambermaid from the background, opening her eyes very wide and shaking her head. "'Poor fellow,' said the gentleman, "'I am sorry to hear it. The worst of it is that I have no idea what friends or relations he has.' 
or where they live, except that it certainly is not in London. The landlord looked at the landlady, the landlady looked at the landlord, and the chambermaid remarked hysterically that of all the many wide directions she had ever seen or heard of, and they wasn't few in a hotel, that was the waggest. The fact is, you see, pursued the gentleman, as I told you yesterday when you sent to me, I really know very little about him. We were schoolfellows together, but since that time I have only met him twice. On both occasions I was in London for a boy's holiday, having come up for a week or so from Wiltshire, and lost sight of him again directly. The letter bearing my name and address which you found upon his table, and which led to your applying to me, is an answer, you will observe, to one he wrote from this house the very day he was taken ill, making an appointment with him at his own request. Here is his letter if you wish to see it. The landlord read it, the landlady looked over him. The chambermaid in the background make out as much of it as she could, and invented the rest, believing it all from that time forth as a positive piece of evidence. He has very little luggage, you say, observed the gentleman, who was no other than our old friend John Westlock. Nothing but a portmanteau, said the landlord, and very little in it. A few pounds in his purse, though. Yes, it's sealed up, and in the cash-box I made a memorandum of the amount which you're welcome to see. Well, said John, as a medical gentleman says, the fever must take its course, and nothing can be done just now beyond giving him his drinks regularly and having him carefully attended to. Nothing more can be said that I know of until he is in a condition to give us some information. Can you suggest anything else? No, replied the landlord, except, except who's to pay, I suppose, said John. Why, hesitated the landlord, it would be as well. Quite as well, said the landlady. Not forgetting to remember the servants, said the chambermaid in a bland whisper. It is but reasonable, I fully admit, said John Westlock. At all events you have the stock in hand to go upon for the present, and I will readily undertake to pay for the doctor and nurses. Ah, cried Mrs. Gamp, a real gentleman. She groaned her admiration so audibly that they all turned round. Mrs. Gamp felt the necessity of advancing, bundle in hand, and introducing herself. The night nurse, she observed, from Kingsgate Street, well beknown to Mrs. Prigg, the day nurse, and the best of creeters. How is the poor dear gentleman to-night? If he ain't no better yet, still that's what must be expected and prepared for. It ain't the first time by a many score, ma'am, dropping a curtsy to the landlady, that Mrs. Prigg and me has nussed together turn and turn about one off one on we knows each other's ways and often gives relief when others fail our charges is but low sir mrs gamp addressed herself to john on this head considering the nature of our painful duty if they was made according to our wishes they would be easily paid regarding herself as having now delivered her inauguration address mrs gamp curtsied all round and signified her wish to be conducted to the scene of her official duties the chambermaid led her through a variety of intricate passages to the top of the house, and pointing at length to a solitary door at the end of a gallery, informed her that yonder was the chamber where the patient lay. That done, she hurried off with all the speed she could make. Mrs. Gamp traversed the gallery in a great heat from having carried her large bundle up so many stairs, and tapped at the door which was immediately opened by Mrs. Prigg, bonneted and shawled, and all impatience to be gone. Mrs. Prigg was of the gamp build, but not so fat, and her voice was deeper and more like a man's. She also had a beard. "'I began to think you wasn't a-coming,' Mrs. Prigg observed in some displeasure. 
"'It shall be made good to-morrow night,' said Mrs. Gamp. "'Honourable. I had to go and fetch my things.' She had begun to make signs of an inquiry in reference to the position of the patient, and his overhearing them, for there was a screen before the door, when Mrs. Prigg settled that point easily. "'Oh,' she said aloud, "'he's quiet, but his wits is gone. It ain't no matter what you say.' "'Anything to tell afore you goes, my dear?' asked Mrs. Gamp, setting her bundle down inside the door and looking affectionately at her partner. "'The pickled salmon,' Mrs. Prigg replied, "'is quite delicious. I can particularly recommend it. I don't have nothing to say to the cold meat, for it tastes of the stable. Drinks is all good.' Mrs. Gamp expressed herself much gratified. "'The physic and them things is on the drawers and mankle-shelf,' said Mrs. Prigg cursorily. He took his last slime draught at seven. The easy chair ain't soft enough. You'll want his pillar. Mrs. Gamp thanked her for these hints, and giving her a friendly good night, held the door open until she had disappeared at the other end of the gallery. Having thus performed the hospitable duty of seeing her safely off, she shut it, locked it on the inside, took up her bundle, walked round the screen, and entered on her occupation of the sick chamber. "'A little dull, but not so bad as might be,' Mrs. Gamp remarked. "'I'm glad to see a parapridge in case of a fire, and a lot of roofs and chimney-pots to walk upon.' It will be seen from these remarks that Mrs. Gamp was looking out of the window. When she had exhausted the prospect, she tried the easy-chair, which she indignantly declared was harder than a brick badge. Next she pursued her researches among the physic-bottles, glasses, jugs, and teacups, and when she had entirely satisfied her curiosity on all these subjects of investigation, she untied her bonnet-strings and strolled up to the bedside to take a look at the patient. A young man, dark and not ill-looking, with long black hair that seemed the blacker for the whiteness of the bedclothes. His eyes were partly open, and he never ceased to roll his head from side to side upon the pillow, keeping his body almost quiet. He did not utter words, but every now and then gave vent to an expression of impatience or fatigue, sometimes of surprise, and still his restless head, a weary, weary hour, went to and fro without a moment's intermission. Mrs. Gamp solaced herself with a pinch of snuff, and stood looking at him with her head inclined a little sideways, as a connoisseur might gaze upon a doubtful work of art. By degrees a horrible remembrance of one branch of her calling took possession of the woman, and stooping down she pinned his wandering arms against his sides to see how he would look if laid out as a dead man. Her fingers itched to compose his limbs in that last marble attitude. "'Ah!' said Mrs. Gamp, walking away from the bed. "'He'd make a lovely corpse!' Now she proceeded to unpack her bundle, lighted a candle with the aid of a firebox on the drawers, filled a small kettle as a preliminary to refreshing herself with a cup of tea in the course of the night, laid what she called a little bit of fire for the same philanthropic purpose, and also set forth a small tea-board that nothing might be wanting for her comfortable enjoyment. These preparations occupied so long that when they were brought to a conclusion it was high time to think about supper, so she rang the bell and ordered it. I think, young woman, said Mrs. Gamp to the assistant chambermaid, in a tone of expressive weakness, that I could pick a little bit of pickled salmon, with a nice little sprig of fennel, and a sprinkling of white pepper. I takes new bread, my dear, with just a little pat of fresh butter, and a mussel of cheese, in case there should be such a thing as a cowcumber in the house. Will you be so good as to bring it, for I'm rather partial to em, 
and they does a world of good in a sick room if they draws the brighton old tipper here i takes that ale at night my love it being considered wakeful by the doctors and whatever you do young woman don't bring more than a shilling's worth of gin and warm water when i rings the bell the second time for that is always my allowance and i never takes a drop beyond having preferred these moderate requests mrs gamp observed that she would stand at the door until the order was executed to the end that the patient might not be disturbed by her opening it a second time and therefore she would thank the young woman to look sharp a tray was brought with everything upon it even to the cucumber and mrs gamp accordingly sat down to eat and drink in high good humour the extent to which she availed herself of the vinegar and supped up that refreshing fluid with the blade of a knife can be scarcely expressed in narrative ah sighed mrs gamp as she meditated over the warm shillings worth what a blessed thing it is living in a whale to be contented what a blessed thing it is to make sick people happy in their beds and never mind oneself as long as one can do a service i don't believe a finer cucumber was ever growed i'm sure i'll never see one she moralized in the same vein until her glass was empty and then administered the patient's medicine by the simple process of clutching his windpipe to make him gasp and immediately pouring it down his throat i almost forgot the pillar i declare said mrs gamp drawing it away there now he's comfortable as he can be i'm sure i must try to make myself as much so as i can with this view she went about the construction of an extemporaneous bed in the easy-chair with the addition of the next easy one for her feet having formed the best couch that circumstances admitted of she took out of her bundle a yellow nightcap of prodigious size in shape resembling a cabbage which article of dress she fixed and tied on with the utmost care previously divesting herself of a row of bald old curls that could be scarcely called false they were so very innocent of anything approaching to deception from the same repository she brought forth a night jacket in which she also attired herself finally she produced a watchman's coat which she tied around her neck by the sleeves so that she became two people and looked behind as if she were in the act of being embraced by one of the old patrol all these arrangements made she lighted the rushlight coiled herself up on her couch and went to sleep ghostly and dark the room became and full of lowering shadows the distant noises in the streets were gradually hushed the house was quiet as a sepulchre the dead of night was coffined in the silent city o weary weary hour o haggard mind groping darkly through the past incapable of detaching itself from the miserable present dragging its heavy chain of care through imaginary feasts and revels and scenes of awful pomp seeking but a moment's rest among the long-forgotten haunts of childhood and the resorts of yesterday and dimly finding fear and horror everywhere o weary weary hour what were the wanderings of cain to these still without a moment's interval the burning head tossed to and fro still from time to time fatigue impatience suffering and surprise found utterance upon that rack and plainly too though never once in words at length in the solemn hour of midnight he began to talk waiting awfully for answers sometimes as though invisible companions were about his bed and so replying to their speech and questioning again mrs gamp awoke and sat up in her bed presenting on the wall the shadow of a gigantic night constable struggling with a prisoner 
come hold your tongue she cried in a sharp reproof don't make none of that noise here there was no alteration in the face or in the incessant motion of the head but he talked on wildly ah said mrs gamp coming out of the chair with an impatient shiver i thought it was a sleeping too pleasant to last the devil's in the night i think it's turned so chilly don't drink so much cried the sick man you'll ruin us all don't you see how the fountain sinks look at the mark where the sparkling water was just now sparkling water indeed said mrs gamp i'll have a sparkling cup of tea i think i wish you'd hold your noise he burst into a laugh which being prolonged fell off into a dismal wail checking himself with fierce inconstancy he began to count fast one two three four five six one two buckle my shoe said mrs gamp who was now on her knees lighting the fire three four shut the door i wish you'd shut your mouth young man five six picking up sticks if i got a few handy i should have the kettle boiling all the sooner awaiting this desirable consummation she sat down so close to the fender which was a high one that her nose rested upon it and for some time she drowsily amused herself by sliding that feature backwards and forwards along the brass top as far as she could without changing her position to do it she maintained all the while a running commentary upon the wanderings of the man in bed that makes five hundred and twenty-one men all dressed alike and with the same distortion on their faces that have passed in at the window and out of the door he cried anxiously look there five hundred and twenty-two twenty-three twenty-four do you see them oh i see them said mrs gamp all the whole of em numbered like acne coaches ain't they touch me let me be sure of this touch me you'll take your next draught when i've made the kettle boil retorted mrs gamp composedly and you'll be touched then you'll be touched up too if you don't take it quiet five hundred and twenty-eight five hundred and twenty-nine five hundred and thirty look here what's the matter now said mrs gamp they're coming four abreast each man with his arm entwined in the next man's his hand upon his shoulder what's that upon the arm of every man and on the flag spiders perhaps said mrs gamp crape black crape good god why do they wear it outside would you have them carry black crape in their insides mrs gamp retorted hold your noise hold your noise the fire beginning by this time to impart a grateful warmth mrs gamp became silent gradually rubbed her nose more and more slowly along the top of the fender and fell into a heavy doze she was awakened by the room ringing as she fancied with a name she knew chuzzlewit the sound was so distinct and real and so full of agonized entreaty that mrs gamp jumped up in terror and ran to the door she expected to find the passage filled with people come to tell her that the house in the city had taken fire but the place was empty not a soul was there she opened the window and looked out dark dull dingy and desolate housetops as she passed to her seat again she glanced at the patient just the same but silent mrs gamp was so warm now that she threw off the watchman's coat and fanned herself it seemed to make the wery bottles ring she said what could i have been a-dreaming of that dratted chuffy i'll be bound the supposition was probable enough at any rate a pinch of snuff and the song of the steaming kettle quite restored the tone of mrs gamp's nerves which were none of the weakest she brewed her tea made some buttered toast and sat down at the tea-board with her face to the fire when once again in a tone more terrible than that which had vibrated in her slumbering ear these words were shrieked out chuzzlewit jonas no mrs gamp dropped the cup she was in the act of raising to her lips 
and turned round with a start that made the little tea-board leap. The cry had come from the bed. It was bright morning the next time Mrs. Gamp looked out of the window, and the sun was rising cheerfully. Lighter and lighter grew the sky, and noisier the streets, and high into the summer air uprose the smoke of newly kindled fires, until the busy day was broad awake. Mrs. Prigg relieved punctually, having passed a good night at her other patients. Mr. Westlock came at the same time, but he was not admitted, the disorder being infectious. The doctor came too. The doctor shook his head. It was all he could do under the circumstances, and he did it well. What sort of a night, nurse? Restless, sir, said Mrs. Gamp. Talk much? Middling, sir, said Mrs. Gamp. Nothing to the purpose, I suppose. Oh, bless you, no, sir, only jargon. Well, said the doctor, we must keep him quiet, keep the room cool, give him his draughts regularly, and see that he's carefully looked to. That's all. And as long as Mrs. Prick and me waits upon him, sir, no fear of that, said Mrs. Gamp. I suppose, observed Mrs. Prig, when they had curtsied the doctor out, there's nothing new. Nothing at all, my dear, said Mrs. Gamp. He's rather wearing in his talk for making up a lot of names. Otherwise you needn't mind him. Oh, I shan't mind him, Mrs. Prig returned. I have something else to think of. I pays my debts to-night, you know, my dear, and comes afore my time, said Mrs. Gamp. But Betsy Prig, speaking with great feeling and laying her hand upon her arm, Try the cowcumbers, God bless you. End of chapter twenty five.